all acquaintances have in fact been forgot, and none of them have been brought to mind. And yet here we are, in the next year of our demons, of our existential horrors. This is the year 2021, and we are stoked to be bringing you more ArenaCraft podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena, and occasionally focused on salad. My name is Arjun, I'm one of your hosts. <laughs> I'm joined today by our other co-host, Kovac Blue, sometimes known as CGB, sometimes known by different names, like that smug blue mage. <laughs> <laughs> hi how you doing buddy I've, I've really been milking this intro but i think it's time for us to get a little bit of your voice on this podcast how's it going <laughs> cgb's like keep going keep bringing it i'm sorry i was just over here uh turning off suggested lands and removing them from my next mtg arena deck people loved that show i got a lot of messages oh, yeah. about people upset with the deck builder and the lands and and just that little quality of life stuff man like that mm-hmm. i think that was the last episode it was mm-hmm. definitely recent and people loved it dude yeah it was one of our more downloaded shows especially on youtube in recent memory so yeah, awesome. I'm I'm glad that y'all, you know, that this kind of feedback is really helpful for us as content creators because if people don't say anything, then all we have to go on is our numbers. And so that's kind of generally like when I'm looking at what do our audience want to hear? What is generally interesting to people? I basically look at my downloads. But when people reach out and say, "Hey, that special episode you did with so and so was super useful to me and blah 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 blah." All that kind of stuff really helps. So, especially in podcast form, because on a YouTube video, I can always look up when people tuned in, when people tuned out, when they skipped forward. On a podcast, if you enjoy something specifically in the podcast, whether it's the Q and A section or what, how we phrased a certain discussion, or the fact that we brought up X Y Z at a certain point, that really helps. Indeed, it does. Yep, podcast stats. Uh, we have a lot of them, but a lot of them aren't that useful. And it's just because they can track when you download something, but they can't, you know, they're not like big brothering into your iPhone seeing <laughs> when you start. Oh, yes, start they are. And... They just don't tell us. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> yep, they're holding out on us. So, all right, this week's episode is like a personal personal pet episode of mine and so i would definitely love to hear if you find this kind of content valuable and interesting i certainly love doing this kind of stuff and i love it when other people do it so you know again me just like throwing spaghetti at the wall seeing if it sticks seeing what y'all like and find valuable so this week we are doing what uh cgv has decided i'll say it i'll say it i'll say it (laughs) okay because i i know i know it's it's hard to be up there just saying this it's the arjuna (laughs) awards because arjuna (laughs) wants to give out awards because that's the show he wants to do because he's excited he's pumped he wants to hand a fictitious trophy to a concept or a piece of cardboard so it's the arjuna award show Yes, I. so I've come up with a list of 10 categories, and we may have some ad hoc categories as well, because it's our podcast and we can do whatever the fluff we want. And this is basically just looking back over the year and just trying to get a sense of the year, you know, like what were some of our favorite aspects of it, what were some of the more challenging aspects of it, 
and really just focused on the experience of playing the arena day to day. So that's what we're gonna do. I'm stoked about it. First of all, we have a few matters to discuss. One of them is that if you've been a longtime listener of the show, AKA longer than the last couple of episodes, you will notice that we changed our intro and outro music on the show. And I've been wanting to talk about this since I did it. And honestly, it's just like left my mind when the podcast starts. You know, I see CGB, he's so attractive. You uh-huh. know, I get I get caught up in his beautiful hair. And yes. next thing you know, like, you Understandable. know. Understandable. So anyway, so, but <laughs> this week I'm staying true to my mission. And so I wanted to say that uh, I've received a number of comments from different people saying that they miss the chill beats. And I totally understand Eero Johannes, who was that previous artist providing that music, is an incredible artist. I would definitely recommend anyone go listen to them. Just like super cool, kind of like a new sound, but some retro in there. Just really, really cool artist and like legit musical artist who I reached out to who was like, yeah, sure, use my music on your podcast and I'm not going to charge you. So like really, really nice person. I want to plug their stuff. The decision for me to change the music was just partially that, you know, content creation my primary focus is for it to be fun and valuable for the people taking it in. But in order for it to be sustainable, it also has to excite me. And ideally it has to excite CGB as well. And Mm. one of the ways that, one of the things that keeps it fresh for me is doing stuff like that, is coming up with new music. I'm a lover of music. I'm kind of musically hungry. And if I hear the same thing too many times, I start to get tired of it. So that kind of prompted it. I was also just like, I was looking for generally um, royalty-free music on the internet, just for streaming and for other things. And I stumbled upon this track, which is this, so this new track that's been opening and, and closing the podcast is the track Cascade by an artist called Cubby. And I heard the podcast and I mean, I heard the music and it lit me up. Like I heard that track and it was just so epic. It was like the most epic track I've heard in a while. And it just like made me sit up in my seat and it made me smile and it made me want to just like punch the air and be like, yeah. So, I mean, that that's it. Like, I was just like, I want to try this as the music for the podcast. A- anyway, that's just like to give you a little bit of an explanation. What do you think about the new music, CGB? I'm just happy to put to bed the rumors that I was forcing you at gunpoint to change the music to get try to get something that matched the absolute extremes of my personality. Is that actually a conspiracy theory that's out there on the internet? I don't like I don't like to credit the source because then they'll just keep spreading these lies. Oh my goodness. For all you who want to believe that instead, go for it, man. 2020 was a boring year. Clearly, there are a lot of people who wanted to believe strange, unsubstantiated things. So just just do you, people. That was good. That was good, dude. I think they'll actually believe that. Good job. <laughs> you get to live another day. Excellent. I actually did a poll, both on Twitter and in our Discord. And last I checked, both polls, and this is, I'm not kidding, both polls were exactly 50-50 down the middle. <laughs> chaos reigns again i mean you can't make this stuff up man you know there was no panic at the polls so to speak there was no tampering this is just then i i think we just have to give them chaos you pick at random 
what the <laughs> that, music will that be was a, for that the was intro, and then again, again for the outro. You just you just switch it on. So so the way that I solved this once upon a time when I had a very very split community on the subject when I changed my music is I I found a, a guy he had two daughters and I just had him sing this creepy theme song like from The Shining <laughs> and it was it was magic magic cover go blue <laughs> and I had that open the show everybody was like okay that was creepy and I'm like all right. And now we're going back to the song I choose. Is everyone fine with this? Yes, we're fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's the, the insidious intimidation of Kovac Go Blue. Very on brand, my friend. Very on brand. So uh, may- maybe there'll be some more interesting music coming to a podcast near you soon. Let's move on here. We have a lightning round question of the week. And this week, it is by AudioEvil1112, who asks this fun question. If you could reprint one card into standard, what would it be? I'm going to shoot from the hip on this one. What my gut wanted was Smuggler's Copter. And... (laughs) (laughs) No! No! And... Banned. This man is banned. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not saying it's a good choice. But I'm just upset because I feel like Smuggler's Copter has never gotten a fair shake in any format. I feel like the moment people play that card, it's just banned. Watch, CGB. Like, at some point in the future, someone's going to make a Smuggler's Copter deck in Modern, and it's going to win, like, two games, and they're just going to be like, Smuggler's Copter banned in Modern. I just can't give an unfair card a fair shake. It's not how it works. So anyway, yeah, that, that's what my gut wanted, but I know that that's heresy. Um, a more interesting question that came to my mind was that there are some really old magic staples, and I do think that it's interesting to at least just consider whether the power level of modern magic has gotten to a place where we could start to consider these cards again. So one of the most classic examples is Lightning Bolt. There's been a lot of discussion in recent years about print Lightning Bolt into standard, you cowards. What do you think about that, CGB? What do you think about lightning bolt and its current power level in either standard or historic we'll open it up a bit do you think that it would be op in either of those formats just no please no please <laughs> just did, did, i'm sorry CGB do red, red players <laughs> do they lack playables no <laughs> shut up well in standard <laughs> I... <laughs> no 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 just no no enough enough dome you with lightning bolt it, how it is that how is that ever a fun way to end a game? It's so fun good against one person. Copter. Oh, shut up, man! No, <laughs> no, uh, no. It wouldn't even be close to on brand for me to endorse Lightning Bolt. But regardless, like, have we not had enough? The card's been reprinted a million times. It's still legal in older formats. If you are that desperate to point three at somebody's face, which by nature is just a degenerate act, I can never endorse. And just go play some old format that I don't play. Go boomer it around on Magic Online. Okay, well, for my final suggestion, this might be more interesting to you, Kovac Go Blue. How about Counterspell? Truly an underappreciated work of art, obviously. <laughs> now we're singing a different tune. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we actually don't need Counterspell. I, uh, I will give an honest review of that. Um, two mana is quite the break point for good answers, and if they don't have some kind of drawback, it's just boring, quite frankly. So I think that the dance of 
whether or not to run Essence Scatter, Disdainful Stroke, Tails, End, um, you know, you name it, etc., etc. Quench is still uh, a good thing, and it opens up more card design space. It makes formats not feel exactly like the the last one. It makes making choices matter. There's a million reasons that this is good. And and on the lightning bolt side, it's like, yeah, there's just no room, right? If lightning bolt's in the format, you play four of them in all your red decks. I wonder. Cool. I wonder if no, you do. Yes, 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 you do. I mean, maybe not in like a Genesis Ultimatum deck, but well, let me for ask the most you, part, you play four of them in every deck that tries to attack the opponent to death. What's a stronger card in standard, Lightning Bolt or Bone Crusher Giant? It depends. It's all con- it's contextual, like what's happening per on a per-turn basis. I think Lightning Bolt is definitely a better card, but I think either like one could clearly be better than the other in context on turn one lightning bolt's a better card on turn my opponent's at three life lightning bolt is a better card those kind of in a vacuum arguments but bone crusher is better in other situations i just think it's interesting to consider what about you cgb for your reprinting into standard what would you like to see that's actually a really tough one and i keep thinking of cards i really enjoyed but the problem that I have with it is I keep on trying to think of cards and I think of decks. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, well, I can ask for this card, but without these cards around it, it probably won't be very fun or interesting and et cetera, et cetera. Like for me, when I think of like Torrential Gear Hulk, I, I just think of all the cards that would go with it. And I'm like, I actually don't want that back because Sublime Epiphany Gear Hulk is freaking gross but i don't want to play that many six drops and uh like glimmer of genius was a good card at the time Vraska's contempt was a good card at the time lower power level way too low for current situations but with gear hulk they were awesome so um i'm thinking of like tireless tracker as this really cool self-contained card that i would love to see oh, come back oh yeah i think the current standard would be dope with tireless yeah. tracker with fabled passage and landfall and lotus cobra and just a lot of cool stuff i think that that's a good individual card that could come back and i then i wonder like it would have a role but wouldn't people just rather play love struck beast into great henge and <laughs> it's like ah i guess it doesn't really fit there so there's, there's a number of ideas I keep having, but really I miss decks and formats more than I miss cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fair. One thing that I think M21 showed us really well was that if you reprint the right card in Standard, it has to be like a pretty open-ended card, and I think a perfect example of that is Scavenging Ooze. Or even the uh, Sad Robot, right? I think these are cards that can hang their head high as as proudly residing in a number of different formats, and they're just very, you know, they're powerful and good staple cards to have. So I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job lately with reprints. So give give Wizards a little pat on the back for that. I'll agree with that. Well, moving on. So now it's time for us to do the AA Awards. That was that was tautological. All right, to do the Arjuna Awards, I'm gonna put some fanfare behind this. Woo! Yeah, go Arjuna! You can tell Boom. that I, I didn't land my job with the WWE as like a as like an announcer. You know, gotta work on it. Uh, but anyway, yes. So the Arjuna Awards. So this is what we're gonna do: is we're gonna go down the list, and we're just gonna talk about the year in review and see how we felt about it. And I, 
have a feeling that this will both raise a number of hackles for our listeners, and hopefully there'll be some some good agreements going on here as well. So if there's one thing that I think sums up this past year in Magic, and especially on the arena, I think it's the concept of banning. And so the first question that I pose to you, Kovaco Blue, is what was the best banning of 2020? The best banning show of 2020 was us talking about Omnath. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, uh, the best banning of 2020 has some interesting candidates. I would, I'd be tempted to say Uro, mm, but solid but. Choice. But it came at the wrong time. Man. Yeah, that's true. It was it was it was right after Omnath was released, and everybody could see what the problem really was. So that banning was actually horribly handled, in my opinion. I'm gonna give a shout out to this particular banning. It all came at once. Wilderness Reclamation, Teferi Time Raveler, Cauldron Familiar, and what was the last card? Agent was it? No, oh. Agent was banned much earlier than that. Oh, was it? Um, um, oh, uh, uh, Clover. Cl- nope, nope. It actually wasn't Clover. That wow. came with Omnath. And so did Escape to the Wilds. Oh my gosh, this is, it's going to feel so stupid. It's been a while. Okay, so it was Reclamation, like at the time, it was Reclamation versus Teferi and Reclamation with Teferi. Yeah. And those two were banned. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Sultai was a big deal mm-hmm. after that and that's because of uro but cat got banned everybody was like why cat and but there was one other card that people were like slam dunk you know that's that had to go hmm. like nobody was questioning that growth spiral oh growth spiral growth right spiral. how can we forget so in one day they banned reclamation growth spiral to fairy time raveler and cauldron familiar Right. That ban was, in my opinion, an awesome ban. Yeah. Because they could have let the format die for the next six weeks. Yes. While we waited for the next set to come out and rotation to happen. It was only six weeks. This was on August 3rd. We were going to lose to Fairy and Wilderness Reclamation and Gross Spiral anyway. And Cauldron Familiar was definitely poised to take over the format if it had stuck around and just make this monotonous, repetitive pattern gameplay a thing. And I thought that was the best ban by Wizards as far as timing, foresight, and just mercy on their community. And they quickly threw away all of that goodwill when they refused to ban Omnath. Yes. And Banduro instead. So anyway, I've talked a bit about some of the bands. Um, we didn't even mention Agent of Treachery and Fires of Invention banned uh, to kill the Jeskai Luka deck that threatened to kill Magic the Gathering entirely because <laughs> nobody liked it. Um, but oh my gosh. We, we didn't mention the Companion Nerf, which was a pseudo-banning. Yeah, that's that's an arguable one, right? Because it, it because that did essentially ban companions from formats like Legacy and and uh, mm-hmm. Vintage, for example. Really, Vintage. Uh, Luris, Luris was literally banned in Vintage, I believe. Oh, it was. That's right. Yep, it was. Anyway, I've set it up. Arjuna Award. What Arjuna is the best ban in 2020? 
Okay, so you came at it from an angle that I hadn't considered, which is instead of being a one card banning, thinking of it as bannings coming in waves and, and there being like a wave of bannings, that was a really excellent decision of multiple cards. So I think that that's a very interesting, very interesting um, angle that I hadn't thought of on the question. When I originally voiced it, it was just the single, single best banning of 2020. And I have to say that although it was not perfectly executed and although the timing was not perfect on it, I do think that this is the single card that most needed to be banned in 2020. And I think you hit upon it very well with the episode that we did about it, and that is Omnath. Was it Omnath. Was it Locus, Locus of, of creation. creation? That's right. Was the other uh, one called Locus of the Royal? Yes. Okay, that's that's why I get it confused. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I can't even remember the name of the card anymore. <laughs> Next Omnath is just going to be Locus of the Band. <laughs> yeah, Locus of the Band. <laughs> so uh, uh, that is, that is of course, a big, a big one. Yeah. Uh, and I think you could combine that with this award with Best Banning slash Worst Printing yes. of 2020. Yes. I think overall, I do think Omnath was the single, like, one card printing that was the worst. Although, and this is really through an arena lens, because I think people who play other formats would definitely argue other cards, you know? Like, uh, like I think Oro is probably... Well, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, next. The most degenerate deck. And I'm, I'm going to kick this one off because, you know, there were a lot... I mean, think about all of the ridiculous decks that people have been playing in standard and historic over oh the course yeah. of this year it kind of hurts my brain to try to categorize them all but the deck that immediately made me want to vomit all over my keyboard the moment i read the deck list was it was the historic field of the dead wilderness reclamation deck and i'm talking specifically about the one that came after i think it was the jumpstart printing Yes, and so it ruined ruined the jumpstart <laughs> release in historic. And this was basically, I think, like Crokies and Danny T. Law and probably a few other historic aficionados, you know, set out to just totally ruin the format. And boy, did they ever! And this deck was just basically explores a million lands, magma quake, and field of the dead, and wilderness wreck. And it was just, it was just such a disgusting awful blight upon magic i mean it was just it was like every card in the deck was just like a stupid card that shouldn't exist yeah you just play lands so that you make zombies and you use wilderness reclamation to cast to have double the mana that your opponent does and the rest of your deck just either puts lands onto the battlefield or keeps them from winning counters magma quake whatever yeah the cards in the deck that had already been banned or that would eventually be banned at this point were Growth Spiral, Oro, Wilderness Reclamation, Field of the Dead. Is there something else I'm missing from that list? Probably. At any rate, it was basically, <laughs> the deck was like broken cards and lands. That was all the deck was. Yeah. So anyway, that, that gets my vote for, for most degenerate deck of 2020. How about you, CGB? I think the award goes to Historic Field of the Dead Reclamation. It it ruined what was to be what what was an exciting time for Historic, which 
jump start and then uh some of the master sets around the corner uh, just to remember like people were excited about muxus until it got magma quaked <laughs> oh like, yeah that, that's how good this was <laughs> that's right this was the deck that made goblins look bad <laughs> yeah this is this this deck kept goblin I, it probably uh, kept muxus from being banned quite oh frankly oh my gosh yeah it was I that good about that <laughs> um i i there's a lot of gosh there are a lot of contenders in this one and i would say the two that were near the top was the omnath deck before uro was banned yeah was, was absolutely nasty. insane like no interaction no just pay no mind to your opponent you're just going to play lands every turn and win because you did with omnath and uro and it was just so stupid it was the dumbest deck i think i've ever seen and then the but but so is the next one Fires of Invention, Agent of Treachery, Luca Fires, man. That deck just made people uninstall Magic Arena in droves, and that's why it got nerfed. And this was before the Companion nerf, too. If you can imagine, it's kind of insane the the year that we've had. That deck is probably close to the most degenerate, and the only reason it isn't is because, in my opinion, the historic deck that you mentioned plays just even more broken cards than that one did yeah but but if i'm remembering correctly that deck had fires teferi mm-hmm. unnerfed yorian and agent mm-hmm. of treachery all in the same deck right yes it also did it main deck Narset as well i don't remember yeah so yeah, it was just basically another collection of some of the most hated cards of all time. <laughs> it was. It had eighty cards. It had room for them. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a nightmare! That that deck was probably the most the deck I wanted to punch in the face most. You well, know? you had a chance because Danny T. Law will tell anyone who will listen that he invented it. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, Danny. Next time you come on the show, buddy, I'll have a, a no, gift no, no. for you. He he says he popularized it. I'm throwing yeah. him under a bus here, but it's with great love. <laughs> yeah, the kind of great love that you have for your friends that you murder. The only other deck that comes to my mind is another historic deck, which was the Winota deck, which for the brief time that that deck was popping off in historic was... Just just a reminder, I mean, if you didn't know, I, I entered that deck in a historic event and then waited three months to play it after the banning. <laughs> okay. I, I, I went like 4-3. Oh, it, really? It wasn't, even, it wasn't even close to good enough against Goblins. Uh, that's by August, By August, the format was way too OP for that deck. And, it, and Winota's still suspended slash banned, so whatever. You know, that's a good point. I do think that Muxus ended up being a better Winota in Historic. But I will, I will have you remember that before any of that was happening, I think that that Winota deck was just utterly infuriating to play against. It, it was like, you know, Burning Tree Emissaries and like turn three winotas and you know just nonsense it was just i love how nonsense. back then it was infuriating to play against now that's just magic it's it's just the way of things <laughs> it's just the way of things. we just accept that goblins is a deck now M- muxus has like single-handedly put essence scatter on the map in historic you know that's because we're all like at least it's not omnath man yeah yeah i guess that's true we we take it right we take it all right this is gonna be an interesting one cgb and uh, I have a feeling you might be a little bit upset by my answer here, but the biggest trap of the year, what was the card 
that you felt like either you or the magic community in general spent the most wasted time on and built the worst decks around? Oh my goodness. This is... This one is like content creator bias for sure, because yeah. I don't get to hang out and only listen to pro players. I listen to the entire community, and my God, do they love some dis- just terrible cards <laughs> and, and want you to build around them. And yeah. um, one of the... This, this is kind of a weird one, because for most of the year, I honestly think the biggest trap was Ugin. Mm, that's... Solid I really do. Yeah, yeah, because I think that games just spiraled out of control way too quickly for you to worry about your eight mana play. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people spent a lot of time after M twenty one came out trying to build the best Ugin deck. And I don't think that was realistic for the format until after Omnath and Lucky Clover were banned. And yeah. then it there's some space opened up, and uh, we did see a Demir Yorian Ugin deck take the standard part of the Zendikar Rising Championship, mm-hmm. or at least that's what the champ played. Didn't help much because they 12-0'd with Blue White and Historic, so it, they didn't even do that good with the Demir Ugin. But With a control deck not running Ugin, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Ugin was a huge trap this year. Yeah. The place I saw this most was in the standard 2021, I guess, is the mm-hmm. name of the format. Yes. yes. People were just flailing around and just making these stupid like just basically shanghaiing ugin into every frick you know it's like mono red with ugin can i also say like the idea of fey of wishing for ugin every single time adds to my opinion of what a trap this card is yeah how many how many people died with ugin in their hand after wishing for it in that format i mean what all, a joke! all of them that fought me that's for sure <laughs> oh actually another thing that happened a lot was they died with ugin on the table they died oh, like yeah. the turn after they resolved the Ugin. Yep. So yeah, that's a solid one. All right, my turn. Yeah, your turn. It sounds like you think I'll be upset with you. What do you have to say? Well, it's one of your favorite cards. I think. I, I think it's safe for me to assume it's one of your favorite cards, and it has actually become one of my favorite cards in Historic, which is kind of ironic because I think it's worse in Historic than it is in Standard. But the card that I think has been the single biggest trap this year is. Yorian, the Sky Noodle. All right. Now, here's, here's what I'm going <laughs> to... I can see the, the look of consternation on the face of Covert Go Blue. <laughs> here's what I'm going to say about this card. I'm going to rage quit this podcast, man. <laughs> CGB's video just, like, cuts Salt. out. There's just static on the other side. No one is going to contest that Yorian is an incredibly powerful card. All right? So... I definitely am going to put that out there. It's definitely one of the most powerful cards in Standard. I'm not going to say in Historic. I really don't think it's very good in Historic right now. I don't think it's ever been very good in Historic. But it is an inherently powerful card, and it has enabled some very, very powerful decks. However, I think if you stack the successes of Yorian against the failures of Yorian... It's like, whoa, Nelly, dude. Think about think about how many pro players have been suckered into playing Yorian in like high Isn't level. Isn't that events. a good thing? Isn't that a good thing though? Like I mean, I seriously though, like a deck with a who has a lot of failures to show for it inspired a lot of building and creativity instead of just playing the best thing. Like there are a million variations of Yorian. Yorian. Oh, I just yeah. completed the 12 days of Yorian in December. <laughs> oh, I mean, 
<laughs> I think it's a wonderful card. And I and uh, there was another podcast I was listening to lately. I can't remember which one, but they were actually talking about how some of their favorite card designs are like exactly that. They're the traps that make you have fun trying to make them work, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I totally agree. I think like over time, I've really come to see Yorian as a beautiful design and I really do think it's well-balanced. And it's cool that it's seeing play even in formats like modern. To be clear, with the companion tax, it's Th- well-balanced. That's true. Yeah, with, yes. with the companion tax. As it was printed, it, no thank no, you. No, busted. No, just freaking yeah. nauseatingly disgusting magic card. But I just think, like, I I mean, like I said, this is basically the card that I've probably enjoyed playing with most in Historic. I've just, I think that that format has so many fun things to do. It just has really fun build-arounds, such as uh, Demonic Pact. Lately, I've been Yorianing Torrential Gearhawks, which is not going to win me the next championship, but damn, is it fun. (laughs) <laughs> so. see see okay i so i i wanted to um rage quit the podcast but i see where you're coming from and the more i think about it i actually think this is a perfectly adorable award to give to yorian i just here's the thing just think about all of the terrible yorian decks out there think about, i don't understand think i'm about- i played mono red yorian and i won games <laughs> <laughs> I mean, CGV supplying the first example, right? Um, I mean, there was also there was that Ozov discard deck that like Efro and and Ben S ben, played, and <laughs> Ben Stark is still stuck on that deck. It's, it's painful <laughs> to see. He's still convinced. That that's the problem with Yorian, right? People he's can't... still in the loop, man. <laughs> they can't the the let prince it go. is still blinking the sky. Noodle. Oh my gosh! Right, talk about. Talk about Yorian, a card that could make people want to play another trap. Charming Prince. I mean, oh man, you want to hear Andrea Manguchi go off on Charming Prince, dude. It's a it's a wonderful thing to behold. Um, anyway, but we also had like those Madu Yorian lists, which again, people will be like, "I it was it was good, man. I swear, I swear, I could have taken down that tournament." Chris, Chris Botello is still stuck he's, in that. He's loop. just still still in the Madu Yorian. We also have that that Yorian food deck. What was it, Selesnia Yorian? That I think Brian Gottlieb is yeah, stuck Brian in that loop. Gottlieb. <laughs> which, admittedly, that deck was good for like two days. Oh yeah, oh yeah. These, these they're all good. That's the thing. It's is it optimal? Like you're talking about absolute optimization. You know what I mean? It's not like you got trapped trying to make double vision the next Lucky Clover. Okay. And then I think that the. The one that stands out in my mind is that MPL weekend where it was like 60% Yorian decks and, and it had like 30% win rate. <laughs> I, I have um, banished that from my mind. I'm pretty sure that was all player error, quite frankly. I also do remember, however, CGBU essentially taking down a streamer tournament, playing a Yorian deck like within a week of that tournament. So, you know. Sometimes you fall into this trap, sometimes you are the trap. Which I think is where we're going to leave Yorian for this year, but a, a, a beautiful failure, just a beautiful failure. Uh, which <laughs> leads me wonderfully into the fourth category here, which is the coolest deck of the year. So I'm not talking about the best deck, I'm talking about like the sweetest deck. And I feel like you, CGB, who's been known for playing you know, 365 plus decks a year, I would be very, very interested to hear, like, what was the deck you saw in either Historic or Standard that just made you think, like, 
oh man this deck is just so sweet <laughs> um actually there's so much to think about on this one yeah i know you can write me a freaking novel because i know what you're gonna say so yeah. please yeah it's the arjuna awards arjuna hand out the award i will throw some honorable mentions when you're done okay all right well i think anyone who knows me and who's listening to this podcast long enough will will probably guess this but i really do think the teamer adventure it, i think it really is some of the most innovative deck building that we've seen in a long time which is interesting because in retrospect it seems so obvious right like it seems like wizards was like here just put all of these adventure cards in a deck put in the two builder rounds we put in the set it's gonna be great but for some reason it just like people weren't doing it and it didn't catch on and it didn't actually become a thing for many 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 months and i think that it was it was really impressive to see Aaron Gertler go through this process of it was just like every week he was like guys this deck is good guys this deck is good you should be playing this deck why aren't people playing this deck and then eventually he took down Dreamhack eventually you know people started playing in all kinds of things eventually it got Omnath and that was the point at which he finally got his beloved Clover banned from the format. But I just think that the the concept of this deck, the way that it used the wishboard, the way that it conceptualized winning a game of Magic, I think was just so... It really did hit on some new angles, and I think that it, the, the play was fantastic. I thought the balance was fantastic. I never felt like... There were very, very few moments where I felt like this was just truly the best deck in the format and couldn't be touched. So overall, I, I thought it was a masterpiece, and I loved every second that I got to play with it. So I can, I guess, go along with that right up to the whole balanced part where it had two cards that got banned. But okay, okay, we'll, we'll move on. Um. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. They weren't banned for, like, so long, and no, like, no one thought they needed to be banned. Like, remember, what was it, like, February? No one thought they needed to be banned who, who thought that escape to the wilds needed to be banned in like february that you're gonna use escape to the wilds of course i mean i recognize his power when hiding in the sideboard love it <laughs> love the dig well done cgb well done no i i get what you're saying i get what you're saying I, i'm just taking some shots because you're gonna hate my answers because i something i've come to accept about magic the gathering is that only one person gets to have fun a good amount of the time. <laughs> and these are decks that I do think in an arena environment where you don't have to look at the sad, pathetic face of the opponent you're destroying, these decks are, in my opinion, quite fun and cool. Uh, as long as you don't acknowledge that there are salty little crybabies out there who are mad. And the first one is Rogues. I actually think the Luris Rogues deck, uh, which sort of started with Seth Manfield in the Zendikar, like Omnath tournament, I, I I still think that deck is very cool. It's a different way to play blue-black. People don't even remember. Blue-black wasn't really a deck for the longest time. It was a guild in like, um, what was that, Guilds of Ravnica? Yeah, but it was always bad. It had to be Esper or Grixis to even have a shot because there weren't enough good blue-black cards. And then when it 
came out, like they gave us Slitherwisp in Ikoria and they gave us Thieves Guild Enforcer in M21. And you were like, okay, well, there was Simic Flash, a very infuriating deck that people hated losing to. Demir Flash was a little underpowered compared to that. And then when the Rogues Tribe got filled out, they were originally kept in check by Uro, but even then, that deck, I felt cool to me. Like, there was such so much power, and it was an aggressive blue-black deck with a ton of decisions that always had to walk the line. Am I control? Am I aggro? Do I not know who I am? It had an existential crisis every turn cycle. Uh, and I, I just enjoy decks like that where it, it feels like nothing scripted, whereas so many matchups feel like the opening moves of chess of you're doing an opening, so you play out the opening. And this felt like you sat down against a wild card. They're, I don't, they're either going to come out aggressive or they're going to counter your threats and pick you apart piece by piece. And I, I absolutely love the deck for that. So uh, Rogues is an answer that I'm going to give. Love it. And you were and, an early adopter. Like You were playing Rogues before it was cool as well. I'm, I'm roguey hipster. It, it's blue. How could I not? You know? Yeah. How could I not? Yeah. So, and then I feel like you had another answer coming as well. Yes. This one's a little controversial because I think people are going to say it was absolutely terrible. But Jund Food, I think when it first came out, was a very fun, exciting deck to realize all the potential of Mayhem Devil, Cat Oven, Corvold, Wicked Wolf, Trail of Crumbs. I The first several times I played it, I remember just being like, oh my God, you get so much effect putting in so little mana, and these pieces come together so fast, but every turn felt like a puzzle. It was hard to figure out the optimal pr progression for a long time. Like, it took a lot of practice, and people forget that. They just accept it now that, oh yeah, that deck was stupid and busted. Or there's going to be the people out there who are like, I made every optimal play from the very first day I picked up junk food. But for most of us, there was a lot of puzzle to solve, and there was damage flying everywhere, and cards being drawn everywhere, and cats coming in and out of the battlefield. I think that deck was cool for two weeks. <laughs> and then when it became apparent we were going to deal with this for two years, uh, it, it wore out its welcome very fast. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great mention. So let's move on here to our next category, which I think we're all going to enjoy talking about, which is the most eye-rolling deck. This is the deck which, you know, you're in the play queue or you're in, you know, the, on the ladder and someone plays the first land and you're just like, OMFG, I have to play against this deck again. Yeah, uh, for me, it could be defined by this deck made me scoop on turn one in the play queue. So I have theories as to what it could be for you, CGB, but uh, I, I'd be curious to hear your actual answer here. If I don't give it to Mono Red, what the heck am I supposed to do? I mean, that's what I would have said. You like, know? what am I supposed to do? <laughs> My, I'm, it's the only thing that's on brand, and I think you'll talk about the only other contender that I have for it. So yeah. for me, it's... Here's the thing with Mono Red, right? Uh, it hasn't changed a card since Theros, it feels like. <laughs> Maybe they add a Phoenix here or there. Yeah. I, wasn't that Theros? That's Escape. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like they've changed a card since Theros, and I'm so bored of it. They, like, they removed a lot of good cards, but they haven't really added anything. Yeah. Yeah, 
I don't need to know what Embercleave feels like on turn four anymore from Mono Red. Yes, you played two creatures or three creatures, and I only drew one removal spell, and now I get Embercleaved and I can't win. There's a million words I could say about Mono Red. I literally was looking into how much hard drive space it would take for me or an editor to make a video that was a 24 hours of me versus Mono Red from my previous footage to put on YouTube. It would not be a stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if I could find 100 hours. So um, for me, it's Mono Red. They play Mono Red. Mono Red, Mono Red. Attack face. Till they're dead. I will say the the most eye-rolly part of it for me was not amber, getting Ember Cleaved for, you know, time a million, even though that was very eye-rolling. For me, the thing that really pissed me off about that deck was the uh, Steamkin light up the stage combination. Those were the games where I just wanted to throw my keyboard against the wall. Oh, yeah. When, the, when turn three takes forever because they drew two Steamkins and three light up the stages. Oh, my gosh. Like, when you have that moment where you realize, wow, my mono red opponent's going to play, like, 15 mana worth of spells on turn three, that was not the best of times, in my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel you for sure. I mean... Since the inception of Arena, that's probably the most evergreen answer to this question, is Mono Red. Mm -hmm. However, I think the deck that tilted me off... Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna... I, I give an honorable mention to Rogues, and I just speak from, like, our listener's perspective and just, like, the general kind of um, tenor of Arena at the moment, I would say. People who play Standard, I really do think that the... I feel like Mono Red's kind of passed the torch to Rogues in this category. It is just super tilting to have your opponent just have it on turn one and then have it on turn two. And then, you know, they have that ideal curve of whether it's Crab into Thought Thief, whatever it is, man. They always seem to put something together. So, so honorable mention to Rogues, but I do have to say that the deck that has made me just not want to play out the game or the match the most this year has been Cycling. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that competes with Mono Red for me. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man. I th I think, honestly, half of it is the frickin' fox, man. I'm so tired of that stupid fox. Oh, I think it's the flare. Okay, the flare's, the flare's obvious, right? The f it's this... Yeah, it's an unavoidable endgame where if you don't have a good start to put pressure on them and you don't have counter spells in your deck, you lose, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. It's so boring. I mean, I totally agree. I think I think that Flare was a mistake. The knobs could have been tweaked to make that card better. Like, for example, the life gain on it doesn't really make sense to me. I, yeah. I think that rem card. removing the life gain, I think, makes it a, a balanced card. Yeah, and again, this isn't so much logical, but man, I just hated losing to those foxes. This was the worst feeling, is that you're playing a red deck... You have Bone Crusher Giant. I'm so confused. What are you talking about? Go on. <laughs> yeah, Adventure Mage over here, right? Your opponent goes turn one Fox, and you're like, I can't kill. I'm never going to kill this thing. It's just like for the Good rest game. of the game, I'm just going to take three, five, seven, nine damage a turn. And, you can you chump know. with your Love Struck Beast. Go, yeah, yeah exactly. Chump with my three mana 5-5. Five, five. You gotta love it. So yeah, anyway, you know what? Screw that deck, man. I'm really, really glad that it has been mostly out of rotation in recent matters. I, I still see it in the play queue every day, and I don't play the game. Just move on. Turn one, Flourishing Fox. Turn one, Scoop. <laughs> what a dumb deck. All right. 
question number six here, the match of the year. And this is actually one I, I have given some thought to this coming in, but I don't know. I'm not super confident on my answer, so I'm curious if you have anything to lead us off with here. The single match of the year that made the biggest impression on you. There are a lot of very competitive matches. I think the one that I've watched a few times is Gabriel Nassif versus Austin Berkovich. Oh. The, that is coming, it's like coming down to time and they're yes. racing. That was and, cool. I mean, Gabriel Nassif is top five all time Hall of Famer. And it's hard to, let, let's just say if you go into a game thinking I'm going to outplay that person, that you're probably wrong. <laughs> and here you have Austin, who at the time is like the number one or it, definitely in the top two or three players, ELO-wise, active, and really made a huge stamp on the professional magic community this year and showed people what he is all about. And in the... Under time pressure, which you can't take that away, and it's deserved. Nassif uses a lot of time, and the deck he chose to play uses a lot of time. Under time pressure, you know, Nassif clearly missed it at the end of that game, and I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, just the there was a lot of face-up information. Both players were playing Fay of Wishes, Lucky Clover, so there was a lot of face-up information, and given time to consider, I think Nassif could have won. But given the way that it played out, Austin did. And I think it was well-deserved and uh, pretty awesome. This, I believe, was the semifinals of... It's so hard to remember the names of things now. Was it the Players' Championship? I think That's is the name question. of it. Yeah, it I believe that, it is. It was, it was the Omnath tournament, basically. The Omnath tournament. Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> uh, pr- competitive a event Omnath. Pros play Omnath. That's what it should be called. I think it, it it was basically like a Pro Tour, wasn't it? I think that's what I... It was like it a was, Pro Tour level event. It was supposed to be that... Like, it was supposed to simulate this year's World Championship. Oh, was that the Worlds. one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, for some reason I thought that was a different championship. And that, that's where Gertler met uh, Austin in the finals. Yes, yes. Yep. And I will say that even though that uh, Omnath, you know, Teamer Adventure deck was degenerate and disgusting. It was a very skill testing deck, and it was what, so boring to watch. Though that's true, it was like very, honestly, very boring to watch. I'm I'm calling this one of the matches of the year, and I believe that. But that's because of the time pressure. Yeah. Without the final ten minutes of that match being under severe time pressure, I, I honestly don't remember the first fifty minutes of it. <laughs> I was tuned way out, way out. Yeah. It's true. I even remember the commentators kind of like, what's happening in football? How's the weather? You know, just like oh <laughs> trying to come up with something to talk about. Yeah. Because it was, you know, because most of that matchup was, do they have the turn for Omnath? Did the opponent have an answer? Yes or no, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's a great nomination. I think for me, perhaps it's just because it's in recent memory, perhaps. But but I think it was the match I watched with the most satisfaction as a viewer. I just enjoyed it the most, and it has to be the um, the Brad Barkley versus Autumn Burchett final. Oh my gosh, yeah, that it was, was a very fun match to watch. It was just such a cool match. They were both such excellent players. You could tell that both of them had a real mastery of the historic format, and it was just it was kind of an iconic clash you know it was like you had like just as 
kind of as typical of a control deck as you can imagine for the format, right? I mean, it's like, if you conceive of like a traditional control deck, it's that Teferi control deck that Brad was playing. And then, you know, on Autumn's side, it was like the, basically like the aggro combo deck of Historic, which is Goblins. And I just, both of them had tuned that deck so well for the meta. They both played so well. I mean, of course, Autumn Burchett, just one of the, I feel like there are some players where you watch them play and you're like, I know this player is really good and I trust that they're going to make good plays. And then you watch their play and then you decide whether they do or they don't. I feel like Autumn, whenever I watch Autumn play, I'm like, this is just raw intelligence. Like there's something about Autumn's play where like they're just, they're just so obviously incredible at magic, right? And so it's just always a pleasure to watch Autumn play. I feel like you can, you can see the lines, you can just like see the branching decision tree spreading out and they're always just super on top of it. So just a total pleasure to watch that match. I would highly recommend it. Agree. The best part is you get to see Brad Barkley just ecstatic with emotion <laughs> at the end of that match. That, now you're now you're definitely uh, trolling. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, lots of contenders, but let, let's keep this moving along here. So now this relates to us. We're going to give ourselves a few awards here. Oh, yes. No, no, I will hand to you. You will hand to me. We don't have to just... We're not that types who just have to give ourselves awards. Excellent. I love it. Okay. I love it. So, so question number seven, our best called shots. So, so, okay. So is this what you're talking about? CGB is, are we Mm -hmm. like telling each other what they were? Bros, bros complimenting each other. So why don't I start it off? Uh, CGB's best called shots of the year. I think the one that just has to stand out right from the beginning is Omnath. Yep. CGB was an early buyer on that card and basically couldn't have been writer about it. I No, I could have. I'm pretty sure... What was it that I said? I said that there will be a top eight that has... Like six Omnaths Omnath, or something. Yeah, like six decks with four Omnaths. Mm-hmm. I, I could have just said, you know, the full thing. <laughs> could yeah. have gone just all the way on that. Um, I didn't say it would be banned. I could have said that. I definitely wanted to say that, but I didn't want to... Like, it's one of those tough things where if I tell you a deck will get banned and it's not, is and it wasn't during the first announcement, and you didn't craft it, then you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage for a period of time. And maybe that's acceptable to some people and not to others. But man, seriously, telling somebody that a card will get banned is a pretty big shot to take. I wish I had with Omnath because I did feel that way. But I also didn't want to mess up anybody's MTG ladder experience in hindsight that was kind of silly <laughs> who played ladder during that <laughs> oh my gosh it was an all-time low for standard i can tell you that uh so yeah so that was an excellent cold shot the other one that comes to my mind is i remember you and i having a pretty strong disagreement about primal might on during the preview season i would say that you definitively slammed the door shot on that it's been a i, I believe were you the were you high on Kaza's Fury and low on Primal Might? I think that's the same Arjuna. I was there was a different card. Yeah, there was a different card. I think was it Ram through? Uh, or are we talking I'm not about sure. something different. But anyway, but maybe. Yeah. But um 
Yeah, you you definitely came out in the right on that one. Primal Might continues to be total contender. It's actually seeing play in Historic as well. Mm-hmm. So um, very, very solid card there. The other one that really comes to my mind is you called out Maze Mind Tome as being like a really excellent card. And I think that that's really been born out. I think that that showed... It took a while. I think that, that really showed some while. real like forward thinking and some insight there. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I think, yeah, th- those those are like the three calls that you made about cards on the show where I just feel like um, showed a lot of foresight and a lot of experience and was really borne out. All right, my turn to hand you a few. So there are some, I, I was going to try to just read the show notes as if I had thought of them myself, but you already gave away how that works. But <laughs> I, I do have a few, uh, but I'm going to start with the show notes one. So you put Lotus Cobra down for yourself. Yes. I remember calling out Lotus Cobra and saying that without Omnath, the card would do nothing. Ha! Okay. And yeah. I felt I felt blown out by that. I feel like as soon as yeah. Omnath was off the table, you don't see Lotus Cobra anywhere. I made the assertion that Lotus Cobra was worse than Paradise Druid by a mile. And I think that that has been blown out. I think that Lotus Cobra has basically just not been a contender in Standard or even Historic um, since Omnath was off the map. And I, I don't know, I, I, felt, I, I felt pretty insightful for having called that shot. That is, yeah, I agree with you on that one. What I'm wondering about the next one, Stormwing Entity, you still think you're right? (laughs) This is what I'm going to say. You made me a bet and I won it. That's all I'm going to say about Stormwing Entity. (laughs) No comment. No comment. Okay. Uh, Gruel Aggro in the new standard. I remember us discussing how the deck could uh, definitely hang and it certainly didn't take long to rise to the top. I think that's a really good call. Thank you. And yeah, you were all over that one. And this is this is this is going to be Arjuna for as long as I live. Mono green. <laughs> the rise of what was an underappreciated and somewhat laughed at archetype, which is hard to remember now, but that's true. Like people kind of laughed at mono green mages as Timmy's. Why would you play that when mono red has Embercleave? And people laughed at it, but it rose up the ranks powered by friend of the show. Would you like to give your shout out? <laughs> yeah, definitely Rint, Maxim, Salmon, big, yep. big contributor. Just shout out a couple other excellent mono green mages, Rumty. Uh, yep. The only reason I haven't invited Rumty on the show is that we've already written our 20,000 words about mono green. Uh, <laughs> but Rumty, an excellent mage. Also, Cedric Phillips, another notable mm-hmm. proponent of mono green. So, anyway, yeah, a lot, lot of cool mono green mages out there. Unite! Yep. And so I really, I, I've enjoyed watching you just revel in the rise <laughs> of that deck to the point where it was considered by some creators to be, and some competitors to be tier one for a minute. And then, of course, uh, kind of faded away since rotation, at least the version that you're used to in favor of the Troll King version that you don't like. Indeed. Indeed. So I got two. Um, I I have started playing so many decks in Jeskai, is it uh, color combinations just to keep it fresh? And a card I cannot play without these days is Soul Seer. Mm, okay. Just, <laughs> I can't get anywhere without the dang card. I'm dead to a heal out. I'm dead to a Lovestruck Beast. Uh... Soul Seer says, you know what? 
I'll bail you out here, buddy. And uh, gets around selfless savior. And uh, and the only price I have to pay is looking at that smile on your <laughs> face right now. And the last thing I want to say is that more of a de- is another deck call, uh, Simic Adventures oh, yeah. in 2021 standard. I think that was a heck of a good call. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Bonafide adventure mage over here. Lit the format on fire. <laughs> well, I have to, you know what? I have to hand that one to you, actually, CGB, because literally for me, that Simic Adventure list, I like, this is no joke. I built that deck in five minutes. I played it. I was like, oh, that was prodigy. fun. And I just, and I was like, yeah, that deck's probably pretty good in the format. And I moved on. I think it was really you who had the big brain moment of like, maybe this deck is actually the best deck in the format. And I, so I feel like you were the person who really actually like, you know, you, well, you did your CGB thing, right? Which was that you took it, you made some tweaks, you kind of next leveled it and you next leveled in your thinking about the format and about the deck. And I think that one of your big insights was that it was a breaker in the mirror with Teamer Adventure, which is something mm-hmm. I hadn't really considered. So I'm, I'm going to hand that one back to you, buddy. I think, I think that, Thanks. I think that you um, really next leveled on that deck. That'll be that. I, I'll treasure this while we transition into our worst cold shots. Of the <laughs> the year. worst cold shots. All right. So this is going to be. I think you're going to have plenty of these for me, CGB, because frankly, I've definitely thrown out some pretty awful ideas on the podcast. I remember kind of going nuts during the M21 spoiler, which is in my memory of my worst cold shots. I think where a lot of them live. But uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> the land of optimism so all right so so yeah uh cgb what i don't know what are things that stand out to you as just some of the more laughable claims that i've ever made on the podcast i i i so. thought you were trolling but you wrote it in the notes palladium mirror <laughs> i thought you were trolling now i think you were actually serious i thought we were on the same page that you were just trolling me but now i think that the truth is revealed you actually wanted you actually tried to do stuff with this card didn't you okay this is what i'll say about palladium mirror i didn't think it was going to be good but i secretly hoped that it would be good oh, okay. okay so well i'll give myself <laughs> sure. a 50 50 on that one <laughs> All right. Um, I, I I will definitely say I shared some enthusiasm for this card, but I also gave it a one on my crafting guide, seeing that it might only be too niche. But you were pumped, and I think I don't think you're wrong for this. You and many people were pumped for discontinuity. Yeah. Yep. I I really did think that that card might end up being a contender to get banned. Like seriously, did think that, and I think it is definitely history has not come down on the side of that. I I still think that it's a card. It's one of those cards that's always going to be lurking in like the historic format, and may eventually end up doing something. We've seen a couple of decks running it, like Lotus Field decks and um, stuff like that. But yeah, definitely not even close to being a a contender on the ban list so probably a a pretty hard miss overall on my part yeah um the other one i think i soft daggered you on already the fight land the the flip land that's a fight spell yeah that no one plays that card ever (laughs) yeah i i was trying to sell you on tangled florahedron you're like that sucks (laughs) 
this this three mana fight spells amazing. Yeah. The future CGB is I will fight with my land. It, man, those DFCs were so hard to It's true. I, I feel like we could both dagger each other on those. Like for example, I recall you being pretty low on like Hagra mauling. Still am. Yeah. But, but it's seen play it's and I can't argue too much. Yeah. Yeah. Another card that which is still hard it's really hard to tell like Salundi vision right so hard to tell whether that card's actually good or not yeah yeah probably not uh not much play for that sucker but yep that's a tough one uh, i think we both were excited about balaged recovery when's the last time that yeah, did something meaningful that's true yeah that's a really good point yep yeah definitely definitely some misses there all right any any other terrible called shots you want to point out for me cgb not for you. I, I keep on... I think it's the human brain at work that I keep on thinking of my own. There's a couple that come to my mind. Uh-huh. I do I do think Soul Seer was definitely a miss for you. I will give you that. I don't think it's been a staple in the format the way some cards have, but I definitely think it has been a player. Yeah, it definitely didn't matter until the play pattern of Lovestruck Beast and a Great Henge became half the format. Yeah. Exactly, which I think a lot of these are contextual, right? Like a card like Baligad yes. Recovery, I think was very good in some of the situations that we outlined yep. before, but you know, a lot of cards got banned and things changed. So yeah, Soul Sea is one that jumps out in my mind. Um, uh, it, you know, it's kind of funny because I feel like there were a number of these cards that we disagreed on that were like one-hit wonders that I, I had small windows of satisfaction about. Like Glorious Anthem, for example, was a card which I had advocated for and you'd come down pretty heavily against. And then that deck went on to win like one tournament, right? And then <laughs> like Stormwing Entity. Exactly. So <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny because I feel I, like we both ended up being right somehow. This is such a conspiracy. Like somewhere <laughs> out there is someone whose only mission is to dagger me. To, they win one tournament and they're off it. <laughs> which is it's just magical man i i don't know i feel like i had a guardian angel on that one who was secretly uh -huh. making bad cards playable for a weekend but anyway <laughs> but i did i did derive some satisfaction from that i've got four written down of my own if you run out <laughs> i i would actually be curious to hear i'm sure that there were other ones but they're they're not immediately coming to my mind so what what do you think about for your own calls so I have Dream Trawler on the list. Did you? I did you? Miss I wasn't excited about it. Oh wow! Um, okay. And yeah, then that I, ended I up didn't. Being one of your more played cards, didn't it? I'm. I still try not to play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm stubborn like that. No, I don't like my six mana tap out win cons. I don't like attacking. I, 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 if I can have a win con that grinds the opponent to dust, like I would prefer a Castle Ardenvale win con, but. The way that magic has changed and that formats have shaped up is that you can't just be control till the end anymore. You have to close the game. You you stop the early rush, then you must win. You must race them down before they get grinding and find the cards that let them hang in the game because every deck has them, except for maybe mono red. So yeah, um, because of the prevalence of adventure cards, I think particularly, and escape cards, even in post-Uro kind of escape cards, but just this constant flow of card advantage, companions as well. Now Dream Trawler is 
pretty essential. You have to close the game. And I never wanted to. Just didn't want to close the game. I just want to play Magic forever and kill people with tokens or deck them. But alas, that was wrong. I don't remember being excited about Luris. Oh, interesting. I really remember thinking the cost was too much, that Mm -hmm. there weren't enough good, cheap creatures. Mm -hmm. And Luris took over not just Arena, but like every format. Basically every format. I can't think of a format that it wasn't at least very good in. Yep. I don't remember what I said about Luris. I just think I wasn't excited even nearly enough, so I'm giving myself a, a fail on that one. <laughs> oh, man, I'm trying to think back on, did I have any big uh, companion fails? I'll, I'll consider that one in the back of my mind as you, as you read your next thing. There. Elder Gargaroth. That, I, I think we both missed that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we both I, missed I remember that one. I, by the end of the spoiler season, I come around to, well, it's green, so therefore it's just, it might be good enough just because it's green, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, in white, Baneslayer Angel gets removed because there are no other great threats and people can just build a battlefield and ignore them. Green yeah. has huge threats. Everything has to be answered. So maybe they have trouble killing Gargaroth, and Gargaroth is bigger and in many ways better than Baneslayer Angel. Yeah. So... I mean, the dice removal argument, I think Gargaroth, for a five-mana card that does literally everything, rose above the Doomblade argument. Yeah, I mean, Cod's a house in Historic, if that tells you anything. Yeah, so yeah. I was wrong about that. And then the the one that hurts the most, Teferi, Master of Time. Now, remind me, were you high on this card? Uh, yeah. That's that's. I was funny. really excited. I remember you being I, excited I, I, about it. I don't remember you like staking your claim that it was going to be like super no. dominant, though. No, yeah. I didn't think it would be dominant, but I thought it would be a an essential player. Um, obviously, a, like so, a lot of that, and this is the other part where I failed, to be honest. Um, a lot of that was based around feeding Uro. Yeah, yeah, which was very strong in the format, but it wasn't like. Even with Uro in the format, Teferi didn't, you know, really plant his flag on the format. Uh, so I'm giving myself a pretty big fail on Teferi, Master of Time. Interesting. This was one that I was just thinking about. I hadn't thought about it until you started discussing some of these other cards. But I think that we both kind of, and I think a lot of people actually missed on Genesis Ultimatum. I think that when Genesis Ultimatum was spoiled... I don't think anyone had that pegged as the most impactful ultimatum in that set. I know a few people did. I know it wasn't what I liked the most, but I did feel it would be among the best. Mm. It didn't do the things I enjoyed like Inspired Ultimatum did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, but I, that's, I, I'm not going to let you take too big of a fall for it, or me for that matter, because the Aethergust Mystical Dispute go, go, go format that we lived in that's ignored true. Genesis Ultimatum for a long time. Yeah, no, that that is a really good point. I do think it's interesting, though, how you know Genesis Ultimatum ended up being like probably played more than the rest of them put together <laughs> the ultimatum it's just called ultimatum now. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. the only ultimatum <laughs> so uh yeah just always interesting how that stuff shakes out i suppose they still have time in standard so maybe we'll see some of the other ones rise up all right um we're getting near the end here but i wanted to go over the best this is number nine here the best printing of the year what do you think was the card cgb 
that was printed in 2020 that you just think was like a knockout, like well-balanced, well-designed, fun to play, relevant, etc. What do you think it was? You slapped me with Yorian, so I slap back with Elspeth Conquers oh, Death. Oh, love it. Because <laughs> I know you hate it, but it's important to remember that at the time of Theros, white was unplayable. Mm-hmm. And and some would say it always was, but and always has been. But really, this it gave white a chance. It gave white card advantage in a way that felt flavorful. It answered so many important permanents that needed to be answered. And even before Yorian, like it, it, it like just pairing it with the fairy three gave you so many ways to kind of maneuver things, control the board, get to fairy back, bounce your ECD, you know, all this stuff that you could do. And um, I think that Elspeth Conquer's Death was an awesome card printed at the right time. Mm. That's a great argument. One of the things I like about Elspeth Conquer's Death is that I feel like it scales with the power of a format. So, like, when there are just excellent targets for it, like a Resolved Oro or a Nissa who shakes the world or something like that, then it's like an extremely powerful, potent card. And when there aren't excellent target for it, it's great. Probably have a balanced format. So The only thing wrong with it was that Lucky Clover cost two. <laughs> yeah. If they yeah. had three mana for Clover, and we've got it, baby. Yeah. Perfect Sky, card. Skyclave Apparition hadn't been printed yet, right? They, they, yep. they printed yep. that card a little too late. They probably should have just printed it in Theros. Yep. Um, that card is also honorable mention, but I'm not as high on it as I am on mm, ECD. Yep. Yep, I, I think I agree with you there, but solid choice. You know, I, I think a card, which again, I've mentioned before on this episode, but um, I just think Maze Mind Tome was such a cool design for this year. Over the months, I have ended up playing that card a lot, and I just think it is, it's very powerful, it's very flexible, it goes straight into a bunch of decks, but it's not an auto-include. I just, I just think it's a brilliantly designed card. And Man, oh, when I'm in a control mirror and my opponent plays Maze Mind Tome and I don't have one, the envy is so real. It's a disaster. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I don't want to play anymore. My opponent gets to have all the fun. It's, just, it's, un, it's, it's hard to stomach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, when you're looking at your Yorian opponent with multiple of them on three counters about to resolve their Yorian, it's just the end of days. So yeah, Maze Mind Tome just slam dunk for me even like a really excellent card and limited as well like i remember picking up a maze mind tome in in the m21 limited it was like kind of a bomb but it wasn't super a bomb I, just 10 out of 10 card love it love it can i give a quick shout out yeah play it on us it's cheating post companion nerf yorian has gotten me to play so many cards that i would have never fit into my deck unless it was an 80 card pile and i honestly found playing some casual commander recently to be much more stomachable because i'm used to larger decks (laughs) whereas like it really got me out of that shell and i can tell my viewers deal with this too the 60 card uh ceiling right they just will not break it it's wrong and yorian gave me a reason to break it and it's led to a lot of joy this year for me and a lot of experimentation and as you put it a trap but a very delightful one and i think that 
before the companion nerf, it was absolutely terrible. But with the companion tax, I actually really, um, I really think that Yorian is a great printing, and I'll miss the Sky Noodle. It's to the point where my in my YouTube comment section, people are already talking about will CGB be able to emotionally handle the rotation of Yorian. <laughs> Well, let's see how the next year goes, right? If if the Sky Noodle continues to ingratiate, then it might be hard. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe maybe with these upcoming sets, we'll finally have other things to be doing. I'm just going to have to have a party, man. Like, on <laughs> rotation day, we're just going to have, like, a goodbye Yorian party or something. The 28 days of Yorian. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Easy! I could do that all day. I'm not kidding. I never run out of Yorian decks. Love it, love it. All right, well, I think that this segues us nicely into the final question on this list, and it's a doozy, CGB, so I hope you're ready. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, man. Was 2020 a more broken year in Magic than 2019? So, for your consideration, let's think about this, because 2019 gave us three arguably incredibly busted sets. We had M20... M20 gave us um, Field of the Dead. It gave us Veil of Summer. Two incredibly busted cards. Then we had War of the Spark, which gave us the busted Planeswalkers. Uh, I didn't put this in the show notes, but it gave us Nyssa. We had Teferi 3. We had Narset 3, which is just nasty. And then, of course, we also had Throne of Eldraine, which, you know, don't need to complain more about that set than anyone already has but it did give us such venerable cards as oko once upon a time fires of invention so that sounds like a pretty hard year to top right cgb like could 2020 actually be worse shout out to 2019 for embercleave a card that keeps on giving embercleave <laughs> yeah oh, oh there's plenty of holdovers that are still busted right lucky clover lucky clover <sighs> there were so many yeah, and then all these obnoxious cards that you'll have to deal with, like all the adventure creatures, and oh, it just goes on and on, right? However, right. so initially I was thinking, okay, 2019, definitely more busted. But then you start to think about it, right? So what did 2020 give us? 2020 gave us the Theros Titans. Oro. Hey, 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 don't throw Croxa in with this. Perfectly fine. <laughs> you know fine. what, man? Perfectly fine. You know what? You don't, you don't play some of the other formats, all right, dude? Croxa. Dude. <laughs> Croxa's showing up. That's all I got to say about Croxa. Fine. <laughs> Poor Croxa. What did he ever do to anyone? Uro. Let's just call it Uro. But it, it, well, it gave us Uro, which is the, one of the dumbest cards of all time. I think Oro is easily worth two bannings. <laughs> Ban him once from the hand and once from the green. <laughs> That's it, man. I mean, we, we need to ban that value, dude. So yeah, so Oro is just totally egregious. It also gave us Omnath, which again is just such a disgustingly stupid card. And such a, like, Wait. here's the thing. All right. It wasn't necessarily obvious that a card like Fires would need to be banned or that a card like Wilderness Reclamation would need to be banned. They did eventually, okay? But Omnath was just like, you read the card and you're just like, this this card should already be banned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just no question. Yeah, just... And especially given the context of Zendikar, which in has played out since the banning to be a pretty... 
not tame set, but definitely not broken, minus mm. that card. Yeah. Um, it's kind of unreal that it even was in that set. Head and shoulders above any other card printed in that set, for sure. But then yeah, this this is what really puts 2020 on the map for me as being a contender for, if not as busted, but more busted, is pre-nerf companion. Oh my lord. It's hard to remember. Because just let's go down the list, okay? Laris, maybe, maybe the most broken of all the companions overall. We had the Sky Noodle, which was much stronger when you didn't have to pay three for it up front. I tell you what. What was the uh, the damage doubling one? Obosh. Obosh. Every aggro deck became an Obosh deck. Yep, absolutely. Yep. People forget that. Mono Black, Mono Red, Gractos, they, they were all Obosh decks. It was the biggest thing to ever happen to Mono Red since Embercleave. Easily, yeah. It was a card that was so powerful that it made people stop playing Embercleave, which is yes. something. Yes, that's something. it is. Okay. It's pretty messed up. Now, let's talk about Zerda the Dawn Waker, which, again, it didn't show up in Arena much, but I think that that card had to be banned from Legacy, if I'm remembering oh, I, correctly. I think so. There was a combo. Yeah, yeah there was some there was kind of like monolith combo with it or something. How about the one week of hell from Gyruda? Oh, yeah, the Gyruda. <laughs> I mean... For one week. They, they thought it was Omnath levels of Broken. I remember that. Oh, my God, they hated it, yeah. There are still Gyruda purists out there who are calling for it to be banned. Wow. That wasn't even all of them, right? Let's see, what else did we have? I think those were maybe the ones that were like super... What about Muxus? Oh, Muxus was printed this year. What about Winota? Winota was printed this year. That's very true. Dude, so it's it's hard to say, right? I mean, it's It's just, close. It's a close, it's close call. And, you know, I, I don't know, man. I think I might have to give it to 2020. I think this is where I'm going to end up coming down on it. I think if we're just talking about Arena, it might have to go to 2019. But I think if we're talking about the broad scope of magic, I think it might have to be 2020. There is a weird thought going through my mind, and I'm trying to phrase it perfectly, and I don't want it to come off insensitive. So trigger trigger warning, audience. You may just want to skip ahead. Maybe, maybe it's a disguised blessing that we didn't have paper magic this year. Mm-hmm. Or last year, 2020, I should say. Yeah, possible. Do you just mean from an investment standpoint? Uh, an investment standpoint, a um, a business standpoint. I think that I think that the tournament halls were empty for a reason outside of our control. I'm concerned they may have been empty for reasons completely within the control of Wizards of the Coast, and the optics of that would be rather terrible i don't think people would travel across the country to play against jeskai luca fires mirrors for example uh, so uh companions also like can you imagine if there were paper tournaments that people were traveling to for say the scg tour during the couple of weeks that luris was legal in some of these formats i just can't even imagine how frustrating and disappointing it would be with the amount of time and effort and especially the value of a paper collection that you'd put in to play this absolutely miserable these miserable uh repetitive experienced formats and then just have it all thrown out the window a few weeks later because of all the bands right so from so many angles this 
if you were going to sit out Paper Magic for a year, this would be a good year because it just moved too fast, too many things changed, and the experiences at many points were bad, straight up bad. Excellent point. Yep. It was a relatively okay time to be jamming a bunch of Arena. Yeah. All I have to say is thank God for Historic. I I know that, I mean, you're a champ. You've been able to make Standard fresh the entire year, and I think that that's in and of itself an incredible accomplishment. But I know for myself, I had many points of just throwing up my hands and, you know, and basically opting out. And one of the things I love about Arena is that I, I was pretty much always able to find some format that I enjoyed playing this year. And I think that that's overall an accomplishment. It really is. Yeah. And I, let's take a minute. Impromptu award format of the year, in my opinion, is historic mm. because If you remember where we started the year, Historic was literally called by many people, including myself, a dumpster. (laughs) It was the place your cards went when they rotated and you couldn't use them anymore. It didn't have a permanent queue. Do you remember this? Oh, they took it away. I do remember that. It was like this phantom format. Yeah, you could not play Historic whenever you wanted. Yeah. At the begin or wait, you could play the play mode, I think, but not ranked, and there weren't events. There had never been a historic tournament, a competitive tournament. Like so much happened to Historic this year that we take for granted now that it's one of these formats like Modern and Pioneer. It started the year as a joke. And if you want to go back and listen to all kinds of podcasts, pretty much every competitive podcast said the same thing. What's historic? I don't even know what's in it. I don't even know what the cards are. I don't even know how to find out. Historic started the year as a joke. It possibly saved the MTG experience for hundreds of thousands of players in 2020. So in my opinion, format of the year, historic. Totally. 100%. Especially if you play it now. I'm not going to say it's a perfect format, but it has a bunch of top tier decks. It has an incredible slew of like tier two and three absolutely amazingly fun decks in it. It's got a really good combination of it's got viable control decks, viable aggro decks, viable combo decks. I just think it's in a really sweet place. And I've definitely been having a blast playing the format. And, you know, people roll their eyes. They hate Muxus. They hate, you know, Paradox Engine there's always cards to hate in magic all right but i think that they really have removed all of the just absolutely most obnoxious cards from the format i mean anyone who complains about muxus probably hasn't lived through those field of the dead games probably hasn't lived through those nexus of fate games those are the cards (laughs) that really made me want to shoot myself you you want to nerf goblins? Bring back Nexus Nexus of Fate with like oh, eight yeah. fogs. <laughs> I mean, I think of Mox, Moxus is just like the Ember Cleave of Historic, right? It's just like another yep. turn four kill. Sometimes a turn three kill, but I mean, it's a fast format. I think Historic's in a great place right now, and I will continue to enjoy it for the foreseeable future. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this awards ceremony. So. Uh, I'm definitely curious to hear, A, if you if all enjoyed this, let me know. If you found this valuable or entertaining, I would love to know in the comments for future reference. And also, frankly, I'm just interested to hear all of your takes on it as well. So leave us comments on YouTube. Join our Discord. We have a Discord. Leave your thoughts in the Discord. I would love to know what were some of your awards for the year of 2020. I would like to congratulate you on all your awards. 
Why, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, they all have my name on them. I'll, I should come up with some kind of actual trophy, you know? But in the meantime, you'll just have to settle for the pearly noodles of my voice. Uh, you can you can find Arena Craft on YouTube. You can find us just about anywhere you can find podcasts. You can find Kovaco Blue on YouTube. I wanted to give a shout out to CGB. We haven't officially recognized this on the podcast yet, but CGB did, in fact, reach 100k subscribers on the YouTube which is just actual trophy, actual trophy inbound. You do you do get something, don't you? Yeah, is, the YouTube silver trophy uh, plaque, whatever you want to call it. The YouTube play button, silver. Yep. Right. It's like a framed thing that you put on the wall, right? It, you can put it on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It's, so it's like a trophy. That that's like CGB has earned an actual trophy for his accomplishments on YouTube, and that is frankly thanks to all of y'all for going indeed and subscribing. So. That's a monumental accomplishment and just a wonderful way to close out one year slash start another year. So well done, CGB. And of course, keep an eye out for CGB streaming throughout the week live on Twitch if you want to interact and ask him silly questions. All right. Well, as we begin to roll the new outro music, Kovaco Blue, I'm excited to dive into Kalheim with you next week and just excited to have another year of magic ahead of us. Absolutely, man. It's gonna be something. We don't know what, but by this time next year, we'll be doing a wrap-up show. Let's hope that one of the awards is not debating what was more broken, 2019, 2020, or 2020. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We can all hope and pray. Pray to Emmercool. Alright. At least we'll have each other. At least we have each other. Alright. Have a good one, buddy. You too. Bye.